there's quiet optimism from Watson's camp that he will emerge from this process with no felony indictment, but we'll see. The key person in all of this is the prosecutor, because whether or not indictments come and whether or not they're for felony charges and misdemeanors is driven by how zealous and determined and motivated the prosecutor is to get that indictment, because it's just the prosecutor. There's no representation of the defendant. There's no counter-presentation of evidence. If the prosecutor wants to load this up and get the indictment, she can. Conversely, if she realizes it's going to be a tough case to try, reasonable doubt is everywhere, not really even sure a crime was committed if these allegations are true, but it all comes down to how aggressive or not the prosecutor will be and how curious or not the grand jurors will be about possibly wanting more evidence. They hope to get this done today. We'll see. A lot of it depends upon what the grand jurors want to do and whether or not they're ready to make a decision today. Man, that idiot actually made some sense for a change. For a change. Good afternoon. It's PFTPM <laughs> on Peacock and Sirius XM 85. Miles Simmons, we are another Friday closer to summertime. How are you? Oh, wow. Changing it up. We're another Friday closer to daylight savings time as well. Mike, I hope you're ready to spring forward. The clock's going an hour ahead Saturday night. One less hour to party. I hate springing forward. But here's why. Here's why. <laughs> when I was a kid, I loved it because you got more yeah. daylight on the back end of the day. Now yes. that I get my day started as early as I do, I hate being teased by actual daylight in the morning, waking up to the sounds of birds chirping mellifluously. I, I like that. Ooh. Now it's all going to be delayed by an hour. And I don't care about having more daylight on the back end of the day because I don't do anything other than come <laughs> up the steps and do this show. So I used to love daylight savings time. Now I loathe it because it's going to take a, a whole two months to get back to where we currently are right now in the morning. But that's fine. I understand how it all works. And uh, yes, get your extra sleep tonight because you're losing an hour tomorrow night so great word uh and there, mellifluously yeah that was great mike that was fantastic you know and a couple that, years ago too i would say that like i i was probably on the same boat as you the, the one problem with daylight savings time is that you do lose that hour so if you're out on a saturday night like, like a couple years ago i was out with a buddy we go back we're having a couple more we're listening to some music and his roommate is getting annoyed with us and says like you guys, it's like 4 a.m. Why don't you be quiet? And I was a bit of a jerk and was like, well, it's really only three o'clock in the morning if you really think about it. So that's my problem with daylight savings time. One less hour to party. Miles Simmons' primary complaint about daylight savings time. For me, it's one less hour to sleep, although I'll sleep as long as I want to. That doesn't matter. And by Monday morning, we make the adjustment and off we go. And what I've managed to do, some of my clocks automatically adjust i <laughs> when, okay. when i was in college when i was in college i would not would i i would not fall back because i had this old clock where it was a hand crank to go all the way around to set the time and you had to go 23 hours to go back one hour you couldn't just go back one hour so in october when it was time to fall back i never changed it and i just adapted Every night that I was setting the alarm, anytime I looked at the clock, I just accepted the fact that it was an hour earlier than it was. And then when daylight savings time came, I caught up again. 
So you're uh, really that dating is yourself with that. You're you're just that dating yourself. I don't know. I don't even know how a, like a hand crank clock. What do you? I, that's basically well, something a, I don't even know what you're talking about at this point. Here's here's what it, here's what it was, <laughs> and the people out there know what I'm talking about. And I need to find uh, one and buy one. Although the sound was horrible, it was it was a machine that had it. It's the it's the uh, a Groundhog Day clock that flips the number over, uh, and it's just it's the they just keep flipping yeah. over. That's the clock. You know what's funny? I've actually seen that movie. Wow. Well, it wasn't it wasn't shot and uh, released in the nineties or eighties. It was in the nineties. So, the eighties is just your that's your film wasteland. You've seen no movies that were shot, <laughs> released, conceived in the nineteen eighties. But it's that's the clock, and it makes that click, and yeah. it's that click. And so you, if that that click used to bother me. And there was like, huh. I would literally be playing beat the clock to fall asleep before it clicked another time and woke me up. I don't know why I just didn't get a different clock. I mean, what the hell was wrong with me? That is laziness. Laziness on top of laziness. My clock was interrupting my sleep, but I was too lazy to get a different clock that wouldn't interrupt my. All right, let's get to the news. It's uh, Friday, and this is for the fifth straight day this week. See, last week. Yeah. There really wasn't any news when we came on the air at 5 o'clock Eastern, so I could go on for 10 minutes about uh, <laughs> all sorts of things that almost made Miles rip out his IFB and run into the ocean. But uh, <laughs> we actually have news today. And it, it was uh, the subject of what we played at the top of the program. Today was the day that Deshaun Watson's criminal complaints were presented to a grand jury. And it dawned on me this morning. And I'm glad I wrote about this earlier today. It dawned on me that the fact that the prosecutor agreed to present it now, on the Friday before the start of the new league year, the opening of the window for Deshaun Watson to be officially traded, that told me there was a spirit of cooperation on the part of the prosecutor, which led me to believe that the prosecutor was not going to go into the grand jury room, guns blazing, trying to get an indictment. Because, listen, and I, I retweeted Shefty's tweet, this is why Deshaun Watson, from the beginning, welcomed the police investigation. He felt he knew that the truth would come out, and today a grand jury did not charge him on any of the criminal complaints. Look, he doesn't understand the legal system. If the prosecutor wanted Deshaun Watson to be indicted, he would have been indicted on felony charges, misdemeanor charges, whatever. If the prosecutor wants to do it, the prosecutor does it. Now, the prosecutor decided, presumably based upon an objective review of the evidence, that the prosecutor wasn't going to get a conviction. And that is one of the key factors that drives these decisions. The prosecutor may have thought, you know what, this guy crossed the line. But do I really want to devote time, resources, effort to a trial against a guy who's got the money to go out and buy the best lawyers he can? And I got to deal with Johnny Cochran style skills and prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. That's the problem. That's the challenge. So if the prosecutor wasn't in the mood to take on that case, the prosecutor goes in with a very different presentation of evidence than if the prosecutor was determined to get an indictment. And the reason that the light bulb flickered for me today, Miles, if the prosecutor really wanted to give Deshaun Watson a hard time, she just would have said, I operate on my own timetable. Oh, it's convenient to Deshaun to have this done before March 16. I don't care. I don't care. In fact, the fact that you're trying to get me to do it before March 16 makes me less inclined to do it. But once I, I made that connection in my limited and impaired synapses, then I realized the prosecutor is not going to make an aggressive presentation. And clearly she didn't. Or if she did, the grand jury rejected it. So I, 
where would the spirit of cooperation come from and why would that happen? Is it just the, the, the fact that she didn't believe the case was going to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt? It's either she didn't believe it was going to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt or she didn't believe there was a violation of the law. She may okay. have decided there wasn't a crime committed or right. if there was, I'm not going to be able to prove it now. Um, and, and so if you believe that at some point you understand, OK, this guy's not going to be charged. Why do we want to unnecessarily throw a wrench into his ability to get on with his life? He has been okay. in limbo. Through, through fault of his own. The, the, this guy isn't a victim. But the point is, for a year, these claims have been hanging over him. And the, the legal system has not finished with Deshaun Watson. That's the other problem in Shefty's tweet. Yes. O.J. Simpson was acquitted of murder in criminal court. He was found responsible for the deaths of two human beings by deliberate killing in civil court. Deshaun Watson could still be found to have violated the rights of up to 22 individuals. Just because he's not facing criminal charges does not mean he didn't do it. One of the first things I learned in law school, Miles, did you know I went to law school? One of the first I things did. I learned in law school, criminal law, first year, 1988, September, was there is a fundamental difference between factual guilt and legal guilt. And you may have factually hmm. done it, but whether or not you legally did it, is a different thing altogether. And it only becomes finalized when you plead guilty, are convicted, plead no contest, or otherwise enter into an agreement that pins responsibility on you. That's when you're legally guilty. You could be factually... I mean, we, we know O.J. Simpson did it. Come on. He's factually guilty of the murders of his ex-wife and Ronald Goldman. We know that. But he was never legally guilty. He was legally responsible in civil court. And to this day, he still owes millions to the families. But... He was never legally guilty in criminal court. So th this look, I, 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 I've been counseled by my wife to to not jab at Shefty. But we know the game that he's okay. playing. We know the grift. We know what he's trying to do here. We know. Look, look I'm going to say it, Miles. I don't care. He okay, wants yeah. to be the one. He wants to be the one who gets the news first that Deshaun Watson is going to be traded to wherever. So he can beat the announcement by five minutes and beat Ian Rappaport and everybody else at NFL Media and everybody at the Houston Chronicle and everybody everywhere else. And he can be first as he rockets toward his free agency on June 1. That's why he did this, to curry favor with Deshaun Watson's camp. It is obvious, and I don't care if I'm the only one that will say it. It's the truth. And I don't mean well, in comparison to you. I mean in comparison to the world. Because a lot of people tiptoe around it. It's, it's bad form to say it. Well, it's bad form to do it. It's bad form to do it. Why is it bad form to call it out? I think it's especially bad form when somebody has been accused of the things that Deshaun Watson is accused of doing, and there is still an ongoing civil court proceeding here to just say, oh, yes, well, he was confident the truth would come out. I don't think we know exactly what the truth is here, right? I mean, it goes back to exactly what you were just saying. There's a difference between factual guilt and legal guilt. And so we don't really know what exactly the facts are, especially because we're not privy to what the prosecutor was saying in this grand jury trial here today. So, I mean, this is not, this is not something that I feel like we should be declaring as sports media, whether or not the truth has come out or not, especially given the nature 
of what Deshaun Watson has been accused of doing. I th I find that that I found that tweet to be extremely inappropriate at best. Well, and here's my next tweet. <laughs> the truth came oh, out boy. real time tweeting. The truth came out on the same day that Deshaun Watson repeatedly invoked finish it for me miles repeatedly uh, his invoked fifth right his fifth amendment to, right to conceal the truth right uh, is that not fair to incriminate himself i think it is his actually fifth, pretty fair mike yeah his fifth fifth i don't know how to spell fifth fifth amendment right we got to finish this go. now that we're this far along you know and that's a five-letter word that could be on word one of these days oh it uh, could be right. against self incrimination oh boy i hope mm -hmm. autofill you know autofill helps me out with everything else here we go. Here's, here's the lawyer for Deshaun Watson. The producer is wisely moving me past this. Here's the lawyer mm -hmm. for Deshaun Watson explaining why the Fifth Amendment was indeed repeatedly invoked by Deshaun Watson earlier today at his deposition. As I've said before, I don't know a single lawyer in the world that would let him answer questions why the very same subject matter is being considered by a grand jury. When the grand jury gets through, we'll be glad to, he'll be glad to answer any questions in these depositions they want. But uh, I think people are not quite aware. He is a very smart, capable guy. And he's following the advice of his lawyers, but he's more than willing to tell his side of it. And now, well, now, okay, that, I got no problem with that. I got no problem with that. Yeah, because, he's, being, he's being a lawyer. He's being Deshaun right. Watson's counsel. Like, that's, right. that's exactly right. what counsel should be doing, right? Yeah. Right. That's what he's he's, he's protecting... He's protecting him against saying something today that if the grand jury hadn't finished its work today, a transcript would have been printed out by Tony Busby. It would have been rushed over to the grand jury room, would have been given to the prosecutor when they picked up their work on Monday. And look at all this stuff that Deshaun Watson said. And maybe this changes your mind about Deshaun Watson. So until the criminal jeopardy has been resolved in a way where you are not going to face a trial, an indictment, any type of prosecution. You should invoke and protect your right against self-incrimination. Uh, That's why it's there. However, this is why Schefter never should have tweeted what he tweeted. You can't say the guy was confident the truth is always going to come out on the same day that he invoked the Fifth Amendment over and over and over again. Because that inherently is counter to the truth coming right. out. It is a way to conceal the truth to protect yourself against being convicted of a crime because our criminal justice system has been established to protect the rights of the guilty in order to ensure that the innocent are never wrongfully imprisoned. As we know, that system doesn't actually work. A lot of people who are innocent are wrongfully imprisoned. But think how many more would be if we didn't have these protections baked into the Constitution. So, yeah, and look, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry that we've spent five minutes talking about this. And I, but, but this is the price you pay when you post one of these transparent, obvious curry favoring or favor currying, easy for him to say, favor currying tweets on the brink of Deshaun Watson being traded to someone else. Schefter now, because he did that, he's in the batter's box to get the scoop. And he's going to be even more deserving the scoop, given all the crap he's going to take for the tweet that he posted. All the more reason for him to get the news first. I, I mean, I guess so, but you know that's that that, that that's that that's his prerogative. I but suppose. that's reality. But, that's reality. No, it, that's, it is reality. That's I'm not the world. It's the world we live I'm, in, and it is. But I just I don't know. I think that there are 
I think that there are lines we maybe shouldn't cross, especially when we're talking about something like accusations of sexual assault. I, I, that's just the way I feel about it. And, you know, maybe, may, maybe I'm wrong about that. I, I don't know. But like I said, I just, I, it, I found that tweet to be very inappropriate and, you know, a little bit dismissive of what uh, these potential victims or these accusers, maybe I should say, against Deshaun Watson have potentially gone through. I just, I, I think that's flipping and I, I don't like that. Yeah. Um, look, I, I, uh, uh, that's the tweet that we've well, been talking okay. about. Yeah. And, and go ahead, Miles. Well, I'm already so in enough guess, trouble. Go ahead. Join me. I know. I, I'm trying. Well, no, I'm trying to kind of get us maybe out of this. But this is one of the things that <laughs> you're, you're not doing a very good job. <laughs> I know. But I'm gonna, I'm, well, you're not going to let me. If you don't let me finish my sentence, then I'll definitely not do a very good job. But let's talk about Baker Mayfield lesson- instead. Oh, no. <laughs> well, then we'll just be here for the rest of the show. Now, one of the things that Rusty Harden was saying today is that if there was no criminal indictment, then he was pretty confident that there are going to be a bunch of teams that are still very interested in trading for Deshaun Watson. So now that we've seen that there's no indictment, Mike, do you feel like we're sort of going to start hearing Deshaun Watson rumors really start to heat up? Because frankly, we've already kind of started to see that, especially on the case of the Carolina Panthers. Yes, absolutely. It's going to happen. It will happen quickly. There's been talk of up to 10 teams interested in Deshaun Watson. I can't identify 10. The ones that I've come up with are Panthers, Eagles, Seahawks. Not that they are, but these are the ones that would be, should be, could be. Eagles, Panthers, Seahawks. Vikings, if they could unload Kirk Cousins onto the Colts, because if you're going to get rid of Cousins, you've got to have an upgrade. And by the way, Cousins and Watson both have identical salaries of $35 million fully guaranteed this year. The Cardinals, if you want to do a straight-up Kyler Murray for Deshaun Watson, it solves your problem in Arizona of the franchise quarterback who wants big money if the Texans are willing to pay big money to Kyler Murray and if he's willing to play for a team that isn't nearly as competitive as the Cardinals currently are. That's, that's five. The Buccaneers is six. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that I've identified. The Steelers, all caps, are not interested, and I still believe that report from the Post-Gazette came from somebody as high in the Steelers organization as you can get. Beyond that, I mean, the Colts, would they be? Would the Texans trade him to the Colts? Hell no. So yeah. I, I, I think six is the universe, which means, which means he'll be traded to one of the other teams, which means it's going to be <laughs> Derek Carr for Deshaun Watson. And somebody asked me that question. Would the Texans trade for Derek Carr? They wouldn't draft Derek Carr in 2014 because of David Carr, because it didn't go well with David Carr, which is a stupid reason kind of to not – draft a guy because he's a completely different human being just happened to share a womb well not share it but have a womb in common at some point they're not twins but they came from the same womb that's the only thing that ties them together but I don't know would the Texans do that Derek Carr for Deshaun Watson depends on what Josh McDaniels wants to do but think about that just the mere possibility of swapping out Carr for Watson AFC West Patrick Mahomes Russell Wilson Justin Herbert Deshaun Watson holy crap if that would happen yeah that would be a really interesting one i mean i i I just if i were a betting man and i'm really not uh i would tend to put my chips in the the circle with the seattle seahawks for deshaun watson and i guess you know if we're going to talk about him and being traded we always have to remember that he has a no trade clause and so he gets to pick 
his destination effectively. And because he is so young, I mean, we're talking about a quarterback that's 27. He's still in his, uh, actually, he's going to be 27, I think, in September. So he's still, you know, really in his early part of his career. We're talking about somebody that if you're trading for him, you might be getting him for a decade or more, you know, based on the way quarterbacks can perform now. So it's not just that, including the fact that he could be suspended too, right? That's still something that is a possibility under the NFL's personal conduct policy. So you take that away and it's like, well, you know, you're not just trading for this guy for the 2022 season. It's 2022 and beyond and potentially having a franchise quarterback for so, so many years. Based on all of that, it's kind of like, well, I understand why so many teams would be interested in picking up a quarterback who is of his caliber. And we know that he already is an elite thrower of the football. Yes, and you make a good point that we always need to remember here. The possibility of a suspension continues to hover over Deshaun Watson under the precedent that was set by Ben Roethlisberger's case in 2010 to the extent the NFL gives a crap about precedent. That's the other side of this because we know from experience the NFL does what it wants, when it wants, how it wants, where it wants, and it doesn't want to be bound by precedent. It doesn't want to be bound by a concept of fairness. It wants to be bound by its assessment of what is expedient and appropriate for that given situation, and it's all PR. How much of a PR hit do we take if we suspend him? How much of a PR hit do we take if we don't suspend him? How much of a PR hit do we take if we suspend him half a season, whole season? You know, it, that, that's, the, that's the dilemma here. And if he doesn't get suspended at all, you're going to have people rightfully say, wait a minute, wait a minute, Calvin Ridley gets booted for a whole year for making a few bets when he wasn't even with the Falcons, when he's in no position to affect the outcome of the game, when he's in no position. He gets a whole year and Deshaun Watson gets nothing. That's the kind of stuff they're going to have to balance, Miles. And the other side of it, too, and what they possibly will do, what they possibly will do, they didn't do this with Roethlisberger because there was still a pending civil action filed in Reno, I think, in, somewhere in Nevada against Ben Roethlisberger when he got in trouble in Georgia. He got suspended after the situation in Georgia was resolved with no criminal charges. I still believe he he settled the potential legal claims privately, and that set the stage for the prosecutor to not charge him. But there was still pending litigation in Nevada. The NFL could have waited for that to resolve before issuing punishment, but it didn't. And I say that now because with Antonio Brown, he got suspended in 2028 20, games for other things that he had done he wasn't suspended in connection with the pending civil action against him for sexual assault. And the NFL took a wait-and-see approach. The case was settled, and he was never scrutinized for that, never punished for that. So what the NFL could do with Deshaun Watson is say, we're not doing anything until these cases are resolved. And that puts extra pressure on Watson to settle them. But if he goes to trial and loses, then he could be facing a suspension from the league based upon what those verdicts say. I, don't you feel like that would be the most pertinent thing for the NFL to do, though, is to wait until the cases are resolved in some way and then decide exactly how they're going to suspend him? At least to me, that feels like the right thing to do. And I don't know what exactly the right thing to do is in any situation, especially one like this. But if you're going to let the legal, if you're going to let the criminal indictment, you know, or not indictment, you know, play out, 
then shouldn't you also let the civil cases also play out before you make any kind of decision as to what punishment should come from that? Um, that, that makes sense. And uh, I think that you could make the argument for that. And that may be what the NFL does. You know, one thing the NFL has learned, and this may be why the NFL does this. The NFL wants to wait to make a decision until it has no choice but to make a decision. So if there's a way to kick the can, if there's a way to put a pin in this, if there's a way to wait, that's what the NFL does. Remember the whole question of paid leave. Is he going to be put on paid leave? Well, if he's not playing, we don't face that issue. So if the Texans are paying him to not play, you never face that issue. If he's not traded to a team that's going to put him on the field, you don't face that issue. So the NFL never had to cross that bridge. There was a hope by the part of the Dolphins and the Panthers who were willing to trade for him last year. The Dolphins wanted all 22 cases to be resolved. There was a hope that he would be allowed to play, but the NFL never tipped its hand because it doesn't act until it has to. That's the other fact we have to consider here. The NFL has learned and has adopted strategically an approach that it won't do anything until it has to. The Antonio Brown precedent may be the thing that tells us what they're going to do is wait to see what happens with the civil cases. I think we figured this out, or at least I think we've predicted how the NFL is likely to handle it, because I think that's the clue, Antonio Brown, and the fact that they didn't make any decision about paid leave for Deshaun Watson uh, at a time when they didn't have to. They won't do anything until they have to. So maybe that's it. And, and look, if he's ultimately exonerated, if he goes to trial and the finding is there's no liability, there was no violation, what, what's, what, what's, what's there to punish him for? He's, right. he's emerged. He's emerged from both halves of the criminal justice, or the criminal and civil justice system, with no finding of responsibility. What, what are you? What are you punishing him for at that point? So that's another thing to keep in mind. Uh, if he would, if he'd settle, that's when it becomes problematic. If he settles, mm-hmm. that's an implicit acknowledgement that he did something he shouldn't have done. That's when it maybe gets a little delicate for the NFL. But uh, I, I think that that may be the way that it goes. Here's Deshaun Watson breaking his silence today after the announcement of no criminal charges. It's definitely a, a very emotional uh, moment for me. Um, I know we're, we're far from being done of, of uh, handling what we need to handle um, on the legal side, but today is definitely a big day, and, and I thank um, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for, you know, letting the truth be heard um, and I think everyone that was a part of this of seeing and hearing both sides um, and, and that's what my point and, and my team wanted to do is, is have a fair slate of us telling our side of the story um, and, and letting the conclusion come down to what happened today and, and that's what the grand jury decided on so yeah, thank you, and I, I stand my Lord and Savior. I'm just going to keep fighting to, to, to rebuild my name and rebuild my appearance in the community. And, uh, you know, we're going to continue to, on the legal side, off the field, handle what we need to handle, but also ready to get back on the field, being prepped for that, and, and, and ready to go for that. So um, thank my family, all my close supporters that's been behind me this past year. Thank my team that's been behind me and supporting me and keeping me up this past year. And, yeah, I'm going to continue to just 
keep pushing forward and, and build my name back to where it was, if not better. That's the most we've heard from Deshaun Watson since all this first came up. And, and look, we, we, we understand why the Fifth Amendment was invoked today. And there was an effort to push the depositions from Friday to Monday. And Tony Busby is stubborn. He's trying to represent his clients. He's trying to leverage Deshaun Watson. Or he's just trying to be a jerk. Plenty of lawyers are jerks gratuitously. They hide behind the idea that you're supposed to be aggressive and zealous to be aggressive and zealous when they don't have to be. I lived that life for a long time, and it wasn't fun because sometimes you're just always fighting, and you're fighting, and you're fighting, and you're fighting. But the bottom line is it was in Deshaun Watson's best interest to not speak until after this is resolved. And I don't know how invoking the Fifth Amendment over and over again is going to potentially affect him in these civil cases because— he said what he said. He invoked the Fifth Amendment. Now he can, I guess he can waive it now that it's over, but uh, it, it could get complicated. And there may be a strategy that Tony Busby was actually trying to employ here. But it was smart to not say anything until the civil cases or criminal cases were over. But the civil cases, Miles, are not going anywhere. And he will have to testify now in those. He will have to answer questions under oath. He will be faced with aggressive interrogation about what he did, why he did it. It will be unpleasant. It will be hostile. And his alternative is to, to settle the case. And that's what I said last March. He needs to just get these cases resolved in a way that is satisfactory to all parties involved. Yeah, I mean, you, you really have been saying that as we've been doing this show now for, you know, over a year. And we've known these things for just about a year that that it's in Deshaun Watson's best interest to get the cases resolved in a way that works for all parties. But I mean, listening to him and say him say like, oh, the truth came out and we wanted to make sure the truth was exposed from both sides and this and that. Like, I don't really think that that's an accurate portrayal of what happened, especially if we're going to say if we know, I should say that he was invoking his Fifth Amendment rights. That's not necessarily hearing from both sides and making sure that the truth comes out from that. And when you're talking about a grand jury, you're only hearing from the prosecutor. So that, that's one thing. And I don't know about, again, the accuracy of what he was saying there. I understand, though, why he's saying what he's saying, especially is now he is in a position to move on with his life professionally in such a way that he can approve a trade to wherever it is that he decides he wants to go, you know, and that provided they're all that team is also providing back the Houston Texans what they want in trade compensation. So I get why he was saying what he's saying, but as I'm listening to it, I'm like, Wait, that's not exactly what happened here. All right, uh, we should take a break. There's plenty that w went on in the NFL this afternoon. We will focus on that when PFTPM continues right after this. All right, some other news from today, unrelated to football, but very related to football because people who follow football watch games. They hear the voices of the people who call the games, and one of the most prominent voices is Joe Buck. Finally, we know where Buck is going to be. His partner, Troy Aikman, jumped to ESPN for Romo Money Plus. Joe Buck jumping to ESPN as well. He had one year left on his contract with Fox. I don't know what kind of trade was done. I don't know what cartoon character rights were transferred <laughs> from yeah. Disney, Disney to, to Fox as part of his deal. But, but uh, they have worked it out, and Buck moves on with one year left. And look, Fox has two of the next three Super Bowls. Fox has the World Series. Buck's walking away from a prime spot to continue to work with Troy Aikman. 
Oh, and also he's probably going to get a lot of money, right? I mean, if he's going to just do uh, Monday night football and he's also going to get to call the Super Bowl now with ABC and he gets to continue to work with somebody who he has some real good professional trust and chemistry with and all that. No, I, I totally understand the move. I, I think it's certainly interesting. And really, it solves a huge problem for ESPN and ABC of the continual rotating cast of characters that they've had in that booth since Mike Tirico came to our network at NBC and then John Gruden left the booth to go coach the Raiders again. So, I mean, it's a very interesting move. You know, when you can't beat them, you might as well just rip them away from the people that you can't beat and have them join you. You know what? I just thought of something. And uh, I'm going to write about this tonight. No, it's not dangerous. No, it's not dangerous. When you just just think of something, Mike, I don't know, man. You never know. What does the new ESPN booth, Troy Aikman and Joe Buck, what does that mean for the Manning cast? What will – because surely, surely – Peyton and Eli, especially Peyton, ultra sensitive to how many people are watching us instead of them. Peyton is hyper competitive. And for the playoff game, when people really wanted to focus on football and and also it was on ABC, so it was a, a bigger footprint. The percentage of people who actually watched the Manning cast was as low, if not lower, all than it was all year. It was very, very small. People were primarily watching the main broadcast. And I know personally, I want to watch the game. I don't want to hear people talking about something other than the game while the game is going on. I watch the Manning cast the next morning, and I think it's very enjoyable, but I want to watch the game. Yes. And one of the reasons why I think people were tuning in for the Manning cast is they didn't like Steve Levy, Brian Greasy, and Lewis Riddick. They did not like it. So now that you got Troy Aikman and Joe Buck, and look, there's plenty of people that don't like Troy Aikman and Joe Buck. Whoever is doing the games, there's going to be somebody that doesn't like it. It could be God and Jesus doing the games, and there would be people that did not like it. Right? That sound like me. God, God, Jesus, and John Madden doing the games, and there would be someone complaining on Twitter about the broadcast. Am I right? You know I'm why right. Is Jesus, why is Jesus talking over John Madden so much? Don't they know who John Madden is? <laughs> um, but but I really wonder what it's going to mean for the Manning cast, and I wonder yeah. how Peyton feels about ESPN deciding to go out and swing for the fences to beef up the broadcast booth to the necessary detriment of the audience for the Manning cast. That, that's, I'm curious about that. Because I know I how Peyton's wired. Yeah. I think it's a good point. I mean, I I sort of don't really understand why you'd pay all that money to have a Manning cast when you also are paying this much money to have Joe Buck and Troy Aikman do your games. And they're one of the best broadcast booths that, that's out there right now. So, And they have been for, for several, several years. So, I mean, I don't – to me, it doesn't necessarily make all that much sense. I'm kind of like you. I mean, if I'm watching the game, I, I want them to be talking about the game. There were a couple Manning casts where things were going on in the game and, like, where records were happening. And I'm, like, watching this thing. And I'm like, I want you guys to, you know, at least talk a little bit about what's going on on the field right now. And, you know, they're – taking shots with the rock or whatever it was that they're doing, which is cool. Like I'm not trying, I'm not really trying to hate on the Manning cast. I'm not, but I think that you were saying at some point, maybe you wrote about it, or maybe we were talking about it on the show that maybe the Manning cast would be good for something like Thursday night football with Amazon 
you know, where you've got a different sort of broadcast because it's only on the internet. And, you know, why not have it more centered around something like that, where it just, it makes more sense as an alternative broadcast, at least to me, it does than Monday night football, where you've got such, I don't know, highly regarded folks in the booth. But I mean, it's not like you won't have that on Thursday night football. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe they could do a three-way trade. Joe Buck goes from Fox to ESPN. The Mannings go from ESPN to Amazon. We just have to figure mm-hmm. out what Amazon would give Fox. That would be the uh, – Fox gets Mrs. Maisel from Amazon. There. Boom. Okay. We solved it. Yeah. We solved it. Do you watch Perfect. that show? The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? I, Do you watch that show? I've been told I should, but I have not actually watched it yet. First season, awesome. Second yeah. season, mm. Third season, okay. mm, fourth season, the, the, the first season, Uh-oh. if they would have never made a second season, it was, it was perfect. The first season was perfect. And, right. the, and anytime that happens, the subsequent seasons are destined to undermine it. And that's exactly what's oh. happened here. When, when you catch lightning in a bottle, when you have a, a, an arc and a character development that culminates in a moment, when I watch the, I'm telling you, when I'm t- and, and I get emotional sometimes. I'm I'm very easily moved by art, uh, and and cinema and and good TV shows. The the final few moments of the first season of the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel brings me to tears. That's how good it is. But wow. they they should have just they should have just walked off. All right, we should have walked off a long time ago, and we'll walk off and move on to another topic. Um, Bobby Wagner, the Cowboys, reportedly in contact with Bobby Wagner. And by the way, Bobby Wagner has said that. He didn't even hear from the Seahawks that he was being released, which is odd because he represents himself. That's what I was going like, to say. Yeah. Like, and, and that really is, that, that's the ultimate reminder, though, that the moment they are done with you, they are done with you. They love you as long as they need you. The moment that they no longer need you, you are worthless to them. You are just another used piece of the machine that gets thrown onto the, onto the scrap heap. That's it. That's how they treat everybody. They've become desensitized to it because I'm not saying it's right. I'm just trying to get people to understand how they do it. They get desensitized to it because they always do it. It's churn, 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 churn. But when you have a guy like this who was a valued member of the team for 10 years. A face of that franchise. That's bad bad form. I I do a spot on KJR every Wednesday night in Seattle and – they were doing some local polling, and people were way more upset about Bobby Wagner being released than Russell Wilson being traded. So you got to treat your best players better than that because you hope other players are going to aspire to become your best players and stay with you, and little things like that get around. On the eve of free agency, when you got a lot of money to spend, you want this getting out there? That may make guys think a little bit differently about Seattle. Then again, money talks, but you, you still want what you want to be able to do in free agency is win the ties. You want to be able to get yes. the guy – without having to pay a dollar more. This is the kind of thing that causes you to not win the ties. Yeah, and it's it's honestly, I, I find it to be very bizarre, you know, when, I mean, Bobby Wagner said it himself, he spent so many seasons there, and the, the fact that he was the face of that defense, he got that defense from the transition from, you know, the Legion of Boom that won that Super Bowl, that got back to another Super Bowl, and frankly probably should have won another Super Bowl if they just hand the ball off to Marshawn Lynch. And he got it to the transition where Cam Chancellor was no longer there. Richard Sherman was no longer there. You know, Earl Thomas eventually moved on as well. And they were still a competitive defense until like last year, last couple of years, whatever you want to call it. But I just feel like 
Bobby Wagner deserved better than that, heading out the door for the Seattle Seahawks. And he's still somebody that can still play. And whether it doesn't necessarily look like he's going to go to the Cowboys. I mean, obviously the Dan Quinn connection, Dan Quinn, former defensive coordinator of Seattle, now down there um, with the Dallas Cowboys. Whether or not that works out is one thing. But I think somebody's going to get a productive linebacker, a savvy linebacker, a smart linebacker in Bobby Wagner, whoever signs him in free agency. Yeah, and uh, we'll see where he goes. And, you know, the challenge for him is, and, and this would be difficult to do, you have in your head that this is what you're going to make in 2022. And then right. all of a sudden that's gone. Yeah. The options that are going to be available to you are for dramatically less than what you were supposed to make. That takes a while to come to terms with. I remember when Marvin Harrison ended his playing career. It happened under circumstances where the Colts released him when he was due to make $9 million, which was top of the market then for receivers. He just was done. He wasn't going to play for anyone else for less than $9 million. He had it in his head that that's what he was earning, and he was not going to play for a penny less. He wasn't going to go back to the Colts for a penny less. He wasn't going to anyone else for a penny less. So that's it. I'm done. See you later. I think with Bobby Wagner, if you're not going to get something close to what you're already going to make, you just sit back and wait and see how free agency plays out before you make your decision. Because maybe Tom Brady does go to San Francisco. Then all of a sudden the 49ers look a lot more attractive. So there's a lot of other pieces that can fall together and give you a path to what could be an opportunity to win your second Super Bowl and get to your third Super Bowl and further cement your Hall of Fame qualifications, although I don't think he needs another Super Bowl win to get to Canton eventually. Chandler Jones heading to the open market, not franchise tag. Do you agree with me? You agree with me that Wagner's good to go, right? Six-time yes, All-Pro? All yes. right, all right. I thought, yes. I thought you were disagreeing. All right, Chandler Jones. He uh, will be a free agent, wasn't franchise tagged by the Cardinals. Here he is from the NFL Players Podcast talking about his expectations in free agency. Where does Chandler Jones become Chandler Jones? Where could he maximize his talent? I mean, I think there's a few times you see it this season where you're like, what, who is this guy? Week one, five sex against your old team, right? That was your, I know you heard like probably like, <laughs> like he's laughing about it. Yeah, so I'm, not, I'm pretty sure you'll see flashes of it, and I'm pretty sure there's pretty times where people might say, oh, why is it disappearing? Where is this going? Not to put it on just the game plan. I'm sure there's a lot of different things that goes into it. But I think going into free agency, I'll say this again. What team maximizes Chandler Jones's talents? Yeah, and look, that's the key. And we've seen how good he can be. And uh, he's going to be looking for a scheme where he has the, the biggest opportunity. And, you know, I know which team maximizes his talent. It's the team that has the, the uh, once-in-a-generation, once-in-a-lifetime, once-in-a-millennium defensive tackle who sucks up two to three offensive linemen every time they snap the ball. So if Von Miller moves on from the Rams, then Chandler Jones goes to the Rams. The question, though, is your best spot to maximize your talents isn't going to maximize your money. That's where you've got to strike that balance. There may be a place where it's perfect for you as a player, but someone else is going to offer you more money. And when you go there, you're going to be the guy who gets double teamed. So that's what he's going to have to ask himself, and he'll have the opportunity to figure all that out. Yeah, but you know what? I, I think Chandler Jones is one of those perennially underrated guys that's coming off the edge in the NFL. Him, Cam Jordan, come to mind 
for that. And really, it's something he was talking about, too. Um, and there's more of that clip. And we wrote about it at PFT, if you all want to go check that out. But he was saying that the money is not necessarily the most important thing. He just does want to be in a place that maximizes his skill set and is able to fit him perfectly. You know, he was talking about the fact that he got drafted. He's never really been able to pick his own destination because you get drafted by the Patriots. You get traded to the Arizona Cardinals. They franchise you. Then they sign you to a big extension you know, after franchising him. So it's not like he's been able to go and pick that destination and then say, yeah, like this is where I want to be because it's going to maximize my skill set. Um, so I, I think that he can go most places and be a really productive player. But you're right. I mean, the place that's going to maximize his skill set is obviously going to be with the Los Angeles Rams because Aaron Donald has made careers. Look at Dante Fowler from a couple of years ago. He plays next to Aaron Donald, then he goes and he signs for big money with the Atlanta Falcons. Leonard Floyd is another guy. Got a big, big contract last year because he was playing next to Aaron Donald. Von Miller played out of his mind in the postseason, and we know he's already great. But playing next to somebody like Aaron Donald makes him that much better. So if Von Miller does not come back, I think you're right, man. Watch out for Los Angeles Rams and Chandler Jones. And that would give him an opportunity to play the Cardinals two times a year. And just watch contenders generally swinging for the fences. We see the Chargers yep. doing it with the Khalil Mack trade. They've got $25 million in cap space left after this, this trade goes through. I think the Rams mentality is going to start trickling down. How can it not? How can it not? Because what are you going to hear from your fan base? After the Rams win the Super Bowl, what are you going to be hearing from your fans? When are you going to go out and try to make these big moves, these big splashes, these guys who are going to push us over the top? Now, it, it can't just be random. There has to be a method to the madness. But, but there are going to be more teams, I think, that do it. Uh, one team that is making a big move by keeping a guy around, Max Crosby, one of their best players, one of the best pass rushers in the NFL, they announced today a multi-year extension between the Raiders and Crosby. Here he is on what his big payday means to, most importantly, his dogs. Yeah, you know, that's it's funny. <laughs> Last night when we, uh, we got, you know, the deal on the table and we were happy with it, uh, Rachel, me and Rachel were laughing. We're like, we're hyping up the dogs because they're they're crazy. We're hyping them up and they're running around the house and all amped up. And we're like, I was like, Dirk, you're gonna be set, bro. My big boy, my big XL bully. And I'm like, you're gonna be set, bro. You can get as many treats as you want. You can get whatever you want now. So yeah, we were laughing about it. And you know, the dogs are just as fired up. I feel like you know, dogs have a good sense of energy and what's going on. So I think they're fired up too. Dogs know. Dogs know. I, dogs know. You, you don't have a dog, do you? I, no. Your dog would be yapping at some point. I, it's, you, you, yeah. Yeah, I, sure. yeah. Dogs know. <laughs> dogs know. Dogs are smart. Dogs. Do, I'm amazed at how smart dogs are. We never had a dog until we had Macy. She, her fourth birthday is coming up soon. Uh, it's amazing how smart they are. And it's amazing how they, they have that vocabulary of words that they know exactly what it means. And they react the exact same way. And they, they, they know what they're getting, and they're very excited about it. But they have different types of ex- excitement depending upon what it is. So I'm all in with that. All right, uh, the Bears, not all in. Well, let's, let's talk about the, the football move here, too. I, I assume we're on the same page. A team you covered, a guy you covered, the Raiders, Max Crosby. He's yeah. the guy that balanced out the Cleveland Farrell swing and miss with the fourth overall pick a few years ago. Crosby was the mid-round guy who became exactly what they were hoping Cleveland Farrell would be. 
Yes, exactly. And that was one of the things about covering the Raiders that year in 19, their last year in Oakland, where obviously Max Crosby was the more talented player and the player who was better executing on a game-to-game basis. And you know, he was leading uh, the Raiders in sacks that year. I think he had 10 and a half or 10, and then Cleveland Furl only had maybe two, two and a half. And so it was just one of those situations where you're like, huh, you know, you didn't really get the guy that you thought you were getting at four overall. But then in the fourth round, you did a really good job of getting somebody like Max Crosby, who has some uh, some rawness to him, but they were able to develop him. And now, you know, like you said, when we were introing that clip, he's become one of the better pass rushers in the league. Pairing him with Yannick Ngakwe was a really good thing that the Raiders did last year. And so now they've got Patrick Graham, who talked today about you know, how you basically throw out 4-3, 3-4. It's all about sub-packages and what he wants is good and talented players. And he's looking forward to working with somebody like Max Crosby. And it's easy to see why when he has been able to execute the way he has over the last few years. So, you know, the, the contrast here now is you've got Crosby and he's signed to an extension and you're probably not going to pick up that fifth-year option on Cleveland Furl. I have no idea why they would do that. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely, especially since there's a new regime there that no longer is invested in in doubling down and trying to prove that Farrell is going to become the guy that he hasn't been. The Bears move on from Tariq Cohen with injury designation. He had promise early in his career. This is what happens with running backs. It, it can it can end very quickly, and injuries are the things that make it happen, and that's why we always say running backs get paid while you can, when you can, because the end can come at any time. A sense of humor from Tariq Cohen. How do I file for unemployment? Uh, with uh, the, the, the squiggly mouth emoji. Uh, the Bears are getting rid of everybody. He should not feel alone in this. They are dumping guys left and right. Ryan Poles, the new GM. Matt Eberflus, the new head coach. They are remaking that roster, which tells me the Bears are not going to be very good this year. Although you could also say if they had stuck with the guys they had, they weren't going to be very good because they weren't very good with those guys last year. Yeah, well, they're tearing it down. And, you know, if you're a guy like Justin Fields, you're probably looking at it like, man, I hope they at least do something with the offensive line and protect me so that that can help my development. And you obviously want weapons too, but I I just feel like the most important thing a young QB can have pretty much is a good OL so that he's not just running around for his life in every single snap. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's very clear what the Bears are trying to do right now. They are trying to remake this roster in a way that makes it more competitive in a division that has somebody like Aaron Rodgers. And that's going to take a little bit of time. Now, it it can't take forever. You know, there's no such thing as a five-year plan in the NFL anymore. At least there shouldn't be. So they've got to tear this thing down to build it back up quickly. But yeah, you can understand exactly why they're doing the things they're doing. They want to be able to shed salary. They want to be able to pick up assets so that they can turn this thing around pretty quick. All right, let's take a break. We got some questions to answer and uh, we got a show to wrap up. We'll do both of those when PFTPM continues right after this. All right, some questions to answer very quickly. T-Dar Law Lida, I don't know. I do some of these, I give up. Somebody on Twitter wants to know what free agent quarterback will the Seahawks try to get? I don't know that they're going to try to get any. I still think I, if I were them, I'd try to trade for Deshaun Watson. They definitely have the assets to do it now. The question is, does Watson want to go to a team that feels like it's in rebuild? That it'll be like his early years in Houston all over again, or more accurately, like 2020 when they were 4-12. and 12. 
Yeah, I mean, I if like I said earlier, if I were a betting man, that's where I would say that I, I would probably um, put my chips for Deshaun Watson is to go to Seattle. But if they are to go that free agent route, then Mitchell Trubisky comes to mind because of the way they like to run the ball. I think Mitchell Trubisky could give them some of that flexibility. Also, Marcus Mariota is another guy that can clearly run the ball pretty well. But I mean, I. I don't really anticipate that Drew Locke is going to be behind center week one. I'll just say that. Yeah, Drew Locke or Geno Smith, I don't think are the answer for the Seattle Seahawks. I don't like the idea of drafting a young player, a first rounder, especially too much pressure. Yep. But there aren't, there aren't a lot of free agents available. That's the problem. When you go from Russell Wilson to Carson Wentz, that's a long, that's a long way down. And it doesn't get much better. Jimmy G? I, uh, he, and he's not a free agent. You have to trade for him. And there could be a, a bidding war for Jimmy G by the time it's all said and done. All right, here's one that will take us all the way up to the post because it involves Baker Mayfield. Neil watches PFT. <laughs> you wrote an article about the Vikings trading Kirk Cousins to the Colts. What about a trade with the Browns for Baker Mayfield? It would reunite Kirk and Kevin Stefanski, and the Vikings could move on from Cousins. Look, Neil, Neil, if you move on from Cousins, you want an upgrade. If the Vikings are going to move on from Cousins – you trade him for the Colts and you trade for Deshaun Watson. Otherwise, you just keep Cousins for this year and you figure it out next year. But you don't want to take a step backward this year at quarterback. And that's the problem. Baker Mayfield's a step backward from Kirk Cousins, is he not, Miles? Uh, well, I probably, yeah. I really think this trade scenario that you brought up now twice between the Texans, uh, the Colts, and also the Vikings is super interesting. That could get Deshaun Watson to Minnesota and then Kirk Cousins to the Colts. I, I think that might be something worth monitoring. And frankly, if I were one of those teams, I might want to do that. But when it comes to Baker Mayfield, I'm actually kind of glad that Neil brought this up because it's something that I've kind of thought about too, where you have not just the coaching connection with Kevin Stefanski, who was coaching Kirk Cousins there in Minnesota, but also the front office connection with Andrew Barry, Kwesi Dolphamensa, who's now the GM of the uh, Minnesota Vikings. He came from Cleveland. When we saw this last year with Brad Holmes going from LA to Detroit and then sending Matthew Stafford to Los Angeles, I'm just saying it's not out of the realm of possibility that Kirk Cousins could end up in Cleveland. I was talking to somebody last night about the teams that could be interested in Deshaun Watson. And uh, the Vikings were specifically mentioned and the Browns were specifically mentioned. That would be something if that happened. Wow. That would be something. Uh, Miles, yeah. I, I think you would you would buy yourself a Deshaun Watson jersey pretty quickly if that happened. I don't think I would buy a Deshaun Watson jersey. But, I mean, I under, I would get behind it from a football standpoint. Yes, I, I would. I mean, it would make a lot of sense. Because, look, the Browns need to do something to compete in what is now a very quarterback-heavy conference, right? I mean, Baker Mayfield, I don't think is going to necessarily get it done in that way. Deshaun Watson does add immediate excitement, but then they'd also have to upgrade uh, the receiver position. You've got Njoko, you've got, excuse me, Njoku, you've got Hooper at tight end, and you've got the running backs. There's at least something there. But, boy, the Browns would be a, are certainly very interesting uh, if they acquire Deshaun Watson. All right, that is it for this very busy and hectic Friday edition of PFTPM. Everybody have a great weekend. Miles, get all your drinking in tonight because you got one less hour tomorrow night to do it. <laughs> See everybody Monday.